This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech fan number 48 with special guest Tom Schmidt from Apple Specialist First Tech. Plus, PS3, Wii, Netflix, Quickster, HP, and a ton more. And it's time for another tech fan. I am uh, Tim Robertson and joined as usual by David Cohen. Hello, David. Feel the burn. Feel the burn. And like we said in the intro to the show today, we've got a special guest. We're talking with Tom Schmidt. Tom, how are you? Great, guys. How are you doing? Good. Now, the, a lot of Very people good. on the, the MyMac Podcasting Network uh, listeners will, will probably recognize your name as someone who contributes articles occasionally at mymac.com you've been doing that for quite a while but your knowledge and your expertise in the mac goes way beyond uh, uh, an occasional review or a guest on a podcast yeah i've been uh fixing macs in one way or another since about 1986 or so that's a long time <laughs> what do you think's the uh well let, let's back up and and first say uh you work for an Apple specialist. Yep. And a lot of new Mac users, obviously, they if they're relatively new within the last 10 years, they probably bought their Mac either online uh, from Apple or they've gone into an Apple store. But that's not always the best solution for a lot of people, I don't think. Well, it's the obvious choice, but um, Apple has uh, several different classifications of, of resellers. Um, the highest of which in the United States is the um, Apple Specialist, which is classed above their own stores even. Um, and First Tech in, in Minneapolis, where I work, um, actually is the world's oldest continuously operating Apple dealer. Um, the, if, if you've ever seen the uh, documentary Welcome to Macintosh we're featured pretty prominently in Yeah, your uh the guy in your company had one of the original Apple IIs. Yep. Yep, I saw uh, that documentary. Yeah, Wayne Wensloff, he's actually a, a friend of mine. That uh, you know, watching that documentary when he pulls out that Apple II with the old documentation and stuff was really really cool for an Apple fanboy. It really was. It was uh, the fifth one off the production line, if I remember right. And is, wow. it, is it in the store still, or does he have that in his home? Um, it's definitely not here. I mean, he did not. I, I never. I, he worked here long before I ever did, mm-hmm. and I met him long after through a brother-in-law of mine who knew him. So um, it, at the time of the filling, the filming of the documentary. He had it. I'm not sure if he still does. Well, it's worth some money, so you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he might have sold it once once he you know found out exactly what it was worth. I don't know. We there's never- a there's a uh, a guy who's called uh, me at Mac Specialist, and we keep missing each other. He he goes to France and a couple other places over there in the uh, EU. In Europe, and uh, when he is in town, I happen to not be there, and when he's not, I am. So I keep missing him. Uh, but he called up one day wanting to know if we work on old Apple hardware, and I said, well, it depends on what the hardware is, but generally if it's really old, no. Uh, we can't get parts for it, and you know, it, let's be honest, it doesn't pay. And he said, yeah. well, well, here's the thing. I've got uh, an original apple that is in almost perfect shape but it it won't start up and i just wanted someone to kind of look at it uh and somebody that would appreciate what this is so i asked him i said what do you mean by an original apple this is an apple in a wooden case that was used for photography uh before the apple ii came out and that's how he came across it it's practically a museum piece an apple one an apple one Wow. In the wooden case. It's all there. 
Did you? Were you not tempted to say to him, "Well, we can't fix it, but you know what? I'll give you fifty dollars and take it off your hands." No, unfortunately, he knows what it is. <laughs> uh, right. He knows the value, uh, but he is willing to when I'm there personally to bring it into me, to have me take a look at it and uh, leave it with me and see if I can get it fixed because I actually do have an in with Steve Wozniak. Uh, right. I'm friends with his best friend, so you know I. It, Worst case scenario, I can probably get it to Steve Wozniak to take a look at it. Yeah. Um, wouldn't that wouldn't that be the world's ultimate tech support call? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Steve Wozniak. Wow. Uh, but more importantly, I want to get it. I want to get it into our store because in our Chicago store, I've actually got an original Macintosh sitting there as a display unit, and yeah. I would like to put that a brand new Macintosh and then the original Apple. An Apple One all together and take some pictures. I think that would be kind of neat. Yeah, so that Tom, would be pretty cool. So Tom, how long have you been at First Tech? Since May of 1994. And what is your title there? Um, um, you know, I'm not sure exactly how they word it, but how I would word it is service and support technician. Gotcha. Um, of, go ahead. Of um, all the guys around here who. Uh, do the same thing I do. I'm the one who's been here the longest by a couple years or so. So I know that there's people out there that listen to listening to the show that have thought about, and I talked a little bit with, with Frank as well on this, our engineer at Mac Specialist, what it takes to become, um, you know, somebody that works on Macintosh. Uh, you know, they're very passionate. They would love to do something like this for a career. How did you get into Macintosh, and, and what kind of advice would you give to someone who would be interested in becoming uh, a technician working on Macintosh computers? Well, uh, my story is actually kind of a long and unusual story. I'll try to make it kind of brief. Um, I went to broadcasting school in the um, early 80s, and after graduating, I ended up with a job at WCCO Television in Minneapolis here as the mailroom guy. And I'm sending out resumes trying to get, you know, jobs in either radio and TV. And um, the print shop in the basement had a 512 hooked up to um, one of those Linotronic image setter things. Yep. So they were too busy to help me out with my resume one day, and they just plunked me down and front of the thing with mac Wright, and and from from there i just you know started getting more interested in in playing around with it and and learning more about it i started doing um some business forms late at night for wcco radio um and i got sick of staying at the tv station until sure. one in the morning so i bought my own mac plus learned how to upgrade the ram um eventually got a job with a uh, small marketing company in a suburb taking care of their computer network. Um, from there, went to a, do tech support at a peripheral manufacturer and then to here. That's a roundabout way to get where you're at, that's for sure. What was it about the Mac that drew you, that drew you in initially? I mean, was that the first computer you used, or was there something about that particular era of computers that really kind of captured your imagination? Well, I got out of high school a couple years before computers, the Apple IIs, really got into high school. So, I mean, through high school and college, I didn't really have any exposure to computers at all. Um, one roommate in college had a TRS-80, and I clunked around with that a little bit. Um, you know, Windows didn't... Or, DOS didn't look that much different, but the first computer that I ever really sat at and used was that Mac 512 in the in the basement at WCCO TV. Hmm. I'm looking at the First Tech website. Now, one of the things that an Apple specialist does is they go above and beyond what you'll get from a typical Apple store, or really from any Apple store. If you right. physically can't go into an Apple store, buy a computer, take it back to your house and set it up, uh, Apple can't help you. But First Tech, from what I'm looking at on your website, could help you. Yeah, we've got in-home setups, um, on-site service, a full training department, 
Um, we even have a, a business support unit that can help with FileMaker database creation. Um, there's really very little that we can't do. So you'll actually take it to someone's house, connect it to their network, show them how to use it, everything. Absolutely. Yeah, you just don't get that at Apple. No, the Apple stores... um, Do you you get frustrated by... We lost you there, David. And he's still gone. Uh Uh-oh. See, this is the problem, Tom. Skype hates (laughs) us. And... uh, yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to hang up on David and then I'm going to bring him back in. Because Skype just simply doesn't like us. <laughs> so, let's try that again. Uh and he was mid-question too. I know, and he's probably still talking. <laughs> Are you there, David? Hello. Okay, so we lost you for a second there, so No, yeah, it kind of went all funny. Yeah. So you were going to ask a question. I, I was just going to say, given all these great services you offer, does it frustrate you that everyone always talks about the Apple stores? I mean, you, you can answer this as well, Tim. You're in the same position. That, that the kind of the public knowledge of the Apple resellers and the specialists is not as, as big as it used to be. Go ahead, Tom. Um, it, it is a little frustrating, um, but there is a, a working relationship that we have with the local Apple stores. Um, there is one that opened last summer, a little over a year ago, down the street here. Um, and they will, if and the ones in the malls in the suburbs will, for older machines or services they can't provide, they'll say, "Well, hey, first text just down the street. Go down there and see if you know if there's anything they can do for you." Uh, it's exactly the same thing with us in Chicago, David. Uh, I can't. I I have yet to be at the store. Um, when a customer didn't come in that was walking in from Apple and Apple referred them to us. Because if your machine's out of warranty or it's at all older, uh, you can't get help at the Apple store. They just, they won't do anything for you. Anything? You you, you can't buy help from them? No. You can't pay for it? No, right, I see. Uh, they, they support the newer machines. And I understand why. I mean... If the, if that's what they did, if 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 everybody with an older computer can go in and get help, those geniuses would never get any work done. They simply wouldn't uh, with the traffic that they have. So they push those older machines off to customer to businesses like First Tech and Mac Specialist, and we're happy to help customers because a we'll make money obviously when we can repair a customer's older computer. And B, if the computer's in a, in a state that it's, it doesn't make economic sense to fix, well, then we can sell them a computer as well. And I'm sure right. Tom could to talk to that, that if you know someone brings in a G4 tower <laughs> that's got a bad motherboard, well, we could fix it, but it's going to be 500 <laughs> well, Sometimes people will go for that because because they need to run certain software that won't run oh, absolutely. on an older machine. Or, you know, like maybe they've got Final Cut Studio and they don't want to pay the upgrade price for the one on a newer machine is cheaper to fix the G4 versus... I mean, it just depends on the situation. But basically, the um, the Apple Store, if, if a machine is four or five years old, they basically usually won't even look at it. Yep. Well, right. they'll probably look at it, but they can't really do anything with it. Yep. Yep. And, you know, here's the thing, David. As Apple sells more and more computers, every quarter it's their best quarter ever, and they've sold a bazillion Macs. Um, I've had customers come in and ask if, if that's, you know, isn't that bad for you guys? And I say no, because a lot of those people, three, four years down the road, they're going to want to upgrade those machines, not buy a new one. Well, you're not going to go into Apple. They're not going to upgrade it for you. We will. Uh, those yeah. machines are going to break. They're out of warranty. Apple's not going to fix it. We will. So the more computers Apple sells, in the long term, it's great for Apple specialists like First Tech. It, it's fantastic because that's going to be new customers coming to you. Right. What do you think, Tom? Absolutely. I mean, the on, and on the one hand, the Apple Store is a competitor but it's also a partner in a sense absolutely we get a lot of um consulting work that will go in with apple to a larger company because apple uh 
can only sell the Apple solutions or what they sell online or in their stores. But unfortunately, many, many customers are working within an existing Windows environment or they need, uh, I don't know, a a tape drive that Apple simply doesn't sell or support. So Apple cannot handle all the needs of some of these customers and they'll bring us in to these initial meetings, uh, our business team, and we'll offer a joint solution to customers along with Apple. So, yeah, Apple is... is I, a lot of people think that Apple don't like the Apple specialists out there. That's not true. Uh, we help Apple, and we get help from Apple. It is a very close working relationship, and it's a great one. Sounds good. So, Tom... What is an average thing that you do working on a computer? Say an average day. What's it look like to you? Um. Well, typically, your 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 typical repair is involving the hard drive. That's yeah. the number one point of failure, uh, mechanical failure, damaged directory, stuff like that. Um, laptops. We see a number of those that that get spilled on unfortunately and yeah. and that needs to be dealt with um but the the interesting thing is the machines now compared to the ones from 10 years ago fail a lot less so um we don't get as many current models as we do um I don't know the exact numbers, but it seems like we get a, a, a higher percentage of out-of-warranty machines as opposed to in-warranty machines that we used to. you think that's uh, simply because people are going to Apple directly because it's in-warranty, or these machines are just more robust, they're just lasting longer? It's probably a combo platter. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 there was a discussion on the, my, the internal MyMac staff emailing list a week ago about Apple Care. And there's some on the staff who were saying they never bought Apple Care because their machines never they never had a problem. They didn't see the point in spending the extra money. And then there was others who said I bought Apple Care and I had XYZ go wrong and the repair alone cost more than the Apple Care cost, so it paid for itself. Where do you come down on that, Tom? I come down on supporting Apple Care. I mean, take the iMac for example. Um, Apple Care for an iMac is one hundred and sixty-nine dollars in the United States, and the uh, a hard drive repair on an iMac is a a lower cost repair compared to other things like a logic board or the display. Um, a hard drive repair is probably going to be about three three hundred and fifty dollars. So even if one small thing goes wrong in that two extra years under the Apple Care, it's more than paid for itself. That's what Plus, I tell people that it's just there's really nothing you can do at home to fix your computer anymore. There's it's it's a different game. Yeah. And you can't even go out and buy the parts for these machines. So if let's say your your power supply dies, okay, uh, and it's an iMac, okay, a number one, how are you going to get the screen off unless you have the suction cups to do so? Uh, and b, where are you going to buy a second power supply? Are you going to buy a used one on eBay and who knows what kind of shape that's in? And, well, and how much mention, is that going to cost? Not to mention, if you're buying it on eBay, it's probably the wrong model for your machine. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I've seen that numerous times. Oh, I bought it myself. Not the right one, sir. Uh, I mean, yeah. My argument with it is, it's always, it's always a risk. It's kind of, is it kind of an insurance policy? It um, is. And I know, I know a lot of people say, oh well, you know, I trust the machines; they're reliable enough. And if anything goes wrong with that, I'll just sell it and then buy a new one and that sort of thing. For me, uh, as you say, the machines are now so difficult to take apart and deal with that um, it's just not worth even contemplating trying to repair, repair them cheaply yourselves. And I'd rather, if I need a repair done, rather take it to Apple and know that, you know, if they go spectacularly wrong, they'll, they'll look after me rather than go to, uh, you know, go to an, a, an independent repair specialist who, you know, for one reason or another may struggle to repair it properly. Um, you know, not everyone, is, not everyone is, is approved by Apple. They might have an Apple logo on the door, um, but not everyone is, is in the sort 
programs that you guys are in, um, and uh, we'll be able to look after you properly. Yeah, and that's so the thing a- about you know First Tech and Mac Specialists and all the Apple specialists out there. They can do warranty work. You don't have to go into Apple. And look, I, I love Apple, but those Apple stores are so busy with a bunch of teenagers playing on the iPads. Uh, they're so busy that I don't feel like I'm going to get the attention that I really need to get this problem taken care of. Whereas yeah. if you go into an Apple specialist, you do get that attention. There's not 500 teenagers playing on iPod touches and iPads, you know? And I I just like that a lot better. And I hear that from customers all the time. I'm sure you do too, Tom. Um, sometimes I do. I mean, the the difference that we have here at First Tech is that sales and service are in in two separate buildings ah. um, with just uh driveway separating them and um so the the traffic here is more in the, on the sales side so that it in the service building it's not clogged up with all the teenagers on the iPads and such <laughs> So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Instead of playing a commercial, we're going to play some feedback uh, from Scott Wilsey. So we'll be right back. Tim and David, uh, responding to TechFan, where I'm listening to you guys talk about games on mobile, and David saying that there's not enough... There's not enough games where you progress through a story on iOS. I totally disagree. I'm with Tim on this one. I've played several ones. I can't remember the name of one, but uh, you play this professor going through the jungle... The Amazon trying to find your uh, your student or whatever you want to call this person, and you have to solve all these puzzles to get through. And if you don't solve these puzzles, you're not going to make it. It's a puzzle thing, but it's also a story. You have to keep in mind what you've done before. You have to keep in mind clues that you've found before. And I wish I could remember the name of the game, but I'm not near my iPad right now. Also, there's another one I play, which is you know it's okay, but it's a uh, you're a detective, and you have to take the right actions in different situations not just sometimes you have to decide whether you're going to block somebody or jump out of the way other times you have to remember clues that you were given and come up with the right answer and you get points and at the end of the game you have x amount of points and you'll either be given a bonus scene or you know you have the option to try try again and stuff like that i think there's other you know there's a lot of games where you progress through the story um if I were at home right now, I could come up with several more. But I agree with David that those can be more interesting. And I agree with Tim that they exist. I think they're there. I think you just have to look for them and find them. I don't think iOS... I would say that iOS is better than the consoles in that regard. Because to me, it seems like the console's strength is their amazing graphics for action games. And things like Halo and other... You know, there's one called... Uh, I think it's called Formula One 2011 that's coming out that's on the consoles that one would be an awesome game to play on the console because it's a driving simulation and the more power you have and the better controls you have the more realistic it's going to be but as for the ipad and the iphone i do like and do often find the ones that have a story narrative that you have to work your way through so just two cents from scott here and uh you know feel free to disagree or agree or delete me or whatever but anyway thanks guys bye hey tim and david listening to the last or the latest tech fan and you guys were talking about uh, Jim Dalrymple and the loop and the articles about Microsoft Windows and how uh, people are already declaring it a loser, Windows 8. I totally agree it's too early to tell. It, and I'm with Tim. I totally give him props for trying something totally different, which is what has to be done if you're going to compete with the iPad. Everybody that's tried to do the same thing fails so far to date. Also, you know, I just think that the whole ad- we all prefer Apple products. That's no secret. We use them. We like them. We do podcasts about them. But I don't like the mentality of people who poo-poo anything that's not from Apple without looking at it for its own merits. Thank you very much, Scott. Now, for those who don't know, Scott does a podcast here on the MyMac Podcasting Network. It's called Pocket Size Podcast. And uh, oh, by the way, David, he played our, uh, our promo for Pocket Size Podcast on his latest show. Excellent. And I was actually on his latest show, and we talked about the narrow-mindedness, or at least the perceived narrow-mindedness of Apple fanboys when it comes to other technologies. So if you guys want to hear my thoughts on that, go check out the latest episode of Pocket Size Podcast, which is number 
Uh, let me go to the website because I don't want to give the wrong one. Uh, episode number 34 called Haters and Competitors. Uh, as far as his earlier comments about story in iOS games, uh, he agrees with me, David, not you. Ha ha. Yeah, I I kind of get his point, but I think there's still quite a lot of games that don't really have any story on any sort of level, any sort of progression apart from just getting to the end of the level. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see more stuff where you, you know, they're a little bit more immersive and, um, you know, you kind of play the game to get somewhere rather than get somewhere to play the game. Uh, Tom, do you play many iOS games? Um, mostly strategy. Oh, really? Hmm, interesting. Does that one have a story in it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like a fat-fingered risk. Uh, yeah, so that would be a no. <laughs> no. See, my point is proved. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I like the 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 pick up and quick play games, but I also like the story games. So I'm glad that there's a combination of two, but I would definitely like to see a little bit more balance. So I'm yeah. with you there, Dave. I would like to see some more games on iOS that I, I want to say is kind of quality console type of, of games. There, there's, they're few and far between, but yeah, it's still, a, let's be honest. It's still a relatively new platform. And I believe I mentioned this on TechFan, but maybe not. Um, if you go simply by what's come before, by the time iPhone 8 comes out, yeah, me and Frank were, were talking about this. When iPhone yeah. 8 comes out, it will be as powerful as the Xbox 360. So it's interesting. It's it's a kind of a cool time to to follow and be involved in this technology, don't you think, Tom? Yeah, um, it's it, it, each iteration of the iPhone seems to put a little bit more in there. Um, one of one of the other games that I like, I, I honestly don't play it a lot, but I I think it's really cool. I have Real Racing on my iPod Touch, and I have Real Racing Two on my iPad Two, and you know, doing those games where you're you know using the thing like a steering wheel compared to the tap 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 i had on my old palm devices i mean it's just night and day in terms of enjoyment i agree uh i got an idea for the rest of this episode those listening to the episode have to take a drink anytime me tom or david say um (laughs) um um because um tom Tom was worried he was going to say um too many times so we'll make it a drinking game. Every time I hear Tom say, um, I'll say, drink. And then anytime you guys hear somebody else say it, you say, drink. And it'll break us of the habit of saying, um. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. Well, that radio training I did really worked wonders. <laughs> I hear I'm gonna go. I'm going to go and get a drink and get loaded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's, boy, when I listen to the show back. Um there you go (laughs) that was on purpose so let's talk a little bit about uh the i I think it was last week david that i was talking about my ps3 and my wii breaking right yes you did mention it well you you say breaking like they spontaneously broke and in fact i think there was blame portions a little bit a little bit (laughs) the ps3 it's called the yellow yellow light of death or something like that and i look it's like the equivalent of their their xbox fail is it yes it absolutely yeah and from what i understand it's either the cpu or the gpu coming loose from the board and that's why you get that Mm -hmm. unfortunately i have a game in there and i can't get it out but it's an i think it's Star Wars Lego The Complete Collection, which I could probably pick up for five bucks on eBay, so I'm not too worried about it. But I did buy a replacement PS3. It's the PS3 Slim. Mm -hmm. And it has a larger hard drive. It seems to be a lot quieter in operation than this whole thing it was. But the problem is it doesn't have any of my saved game data. And that's kind of a problem, David. I don't want to have to play through all these games again. Doesn't I thought the whole point with the PS3 because you have the the like the PlayStation Network? I thought everything was synced up there. 
trophies is that are, not the case? Well, trophies are, and they have an online storage now for saved games, but it's something that you have to manually do. Or you set it up initially for each game and say, yes, back it up to the online storage at this time of the day, every day. Uh, the problem is I didn't do that. No. I and manually the, the, the drive. The drive on the old one is, is internal to the PlayStation. You can't... Because of, of, on the Xbox, uh, obviously, it's kind of clipped to the top, so you can actually take it off and, and put it on a new machine. You can't do that, no. Yes and no. It's internal, yes. And yes, you can remove it. And it's fairly simple on both the new uh, PS3 and the old PS3. They're they're both hidden behind a door. On the old one, it's on the side. On the new one, it's on the front. You take off a little door, you remove a screw, and you can slide. It's just a a 2.5-inch laptop hard drive in there. Yeah. So I was scrambling all morning trying to figure out as Tom can attest, because he saw the conversation on Twitter, Yeah, uh, how I was going to get the saved da- game data from my old machine onto the new one, because the, the, the old one I can't boot up at all anymore. So I was thinking, oh, you know, I've got this Voyager connected to my Mac, and I can put a laptop yeah. hard drive in it. So I did. I pulled the old hard drive out of the PS3, put it in this, and my Mac doesn't recognize it as a, something that it could read. So it was either eject, ignore, or or format it. So I'm like, ah, crap. I was thinking maybe if I could find, uh, what do you call it, a um, an external case that I can yeah. connect that to the new PS3 with the old PS3's hard drive and maybe migrate it that way. But I couldn't find anything online that showed how to do that. And... I thought I was pretty screwed, so I threw this up on uh, Twitter, uh-huh. asking for help, and our good friend Pat Mahone came up with the solution, and then, of course, I slapped myself in the head because I'm a retard and didn't think of this myself. And it is, why not take the old PS3 hard drive out, take the new PS3 hard drive out, put the old one in the new machine, back it up to the online thing, put the new hard drive back in, and then pull it back over to the new one. He's a clever guy, is Pat. He is more clever than I, I tell you that. Well, sometimes you can get that problem where you, you're trying to solve an issue, and you're, you, you, there, are, there are probably five or six different potential solutions, and, and you can kind of get lost with the, in the wood for the trees with those, where you can't, you know, the obvious thing is the one thing you've not thought of. Um, and, you, you know, you can spend an awful lot of time sort of the kind of progressing down the solution and then hitting a, a brick wall. And then, you know, you spent two days on it and you realized you missed the obvious solution. Yeah. Tom, you had something to say about that, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, before we started recording, Tim and I were talking about it. And the thing that I run into a lot, and, and I think Tim agreed, is when you're working on your own stuff you have an emotional investment in it as opposed to working on somebody else's machine. So that sometimes gets some blinders on you and you sometimes just because of that miss the obvious solution. And that was, I think that was definitely the cause here. And, but when you came on, David, um, I'd actually brought Pat Mahone on the Skype conversation with Tom and I just to thank him because the obvious solution was there the whole time. I just didn't see it. And so yeah. that's kind of something that I think anybody that's listened to this show that's obviously very much into tech, if you can't come up with a solution yourself for your own stuff, ask. Because Definitely. because sometimes the most obvious solution is the one that just eludes you. And, and yeah, you know what's amazing as well? I often see, uh, particularly in forums online, where um, somebody has a problem with a, a piece of hardware or software and they've tried all sorts of things, and they can't get any problem. And they, they've asked for help. And the first thing I often ask is, well, what does the manufacturer say? And then they then you find out they've not actually asked them. And they've not reported it as a bug, or they've not spoken to, you know, um, if it's a software bug or something, they've not spoken to the developer or anything like that. They're already going out to Google and the Internet looking for a solution when, in fact, uh, you know, there, there could well be a support a support. Um, resolution for them from the developer or the supplier. Oh, I see that all the time. Yeah, I was just going to ask, Tom, in your role at First Tech, how often do you see that? 
Well, I, you know, somebody will tell me, I, you know, I'm having a problem with Microsoft Word or Adobe Photoshop or something. Well, did you ask, you know, did you go on Microsoft.com or ask someone at Adobe? No. <laughs> well, uh, and, that's and fine. another another thing that's kind of related to all this. One thing I'm always telling customers because they're, you know, they're sometimes afraid to ask a stupid question. The only dumb question is the one you don't ask. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, I know. an obvious thing, but it, it really should be, you know, take that to heart. Because if you don't ask the question, you're probably not going to find the answer. Right. And also, yeah, also as well, I'd say, um, and, and this is something I see a lot as well from, from sort of in my experience in, in my job, because I'm, I'm in IT in my job, um, is don't, don't theorize what you think the problem is and then tackle it that way because a lot of people do that and they actually make it a lot worse because they've got they've got the wrong idea and um you know we had we had an example of this recently um a colleague of mine moved from the states to switzerland and he had his at&t iphone unlocked before he left by at&t when he got to switzerland he found he couldn't put a sim in it and make it work and so rather than um, because he was in, because he was in Switzerland, rather than trying to contact the US and try and get some support from Apple, uh, um, he went to some guy on the street who said he could unlock it for him, and they've done some sort of weird jailbreakme type dot com type uh, um, a sim unlock to it, and now the phone is pretty much dead. I mean, he's just he's just toasted it, uh, and of course, if he takes it to Apple now, then he's not going to get any joy because he's unlocked it because he's jailbroken it. Yeah, that could be a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, as another follow-up that I talked about last week was my Wii broke. Now, if you remember, my wife, it came unplugged. She went to plug it back in, didn't realize the little plastic thing on the end of the power cord had broken off, so it was basically bare metal there, and it sparked. And I said she shot the Wii when she did that. Well, when I bought my PS3, I was at GameStop, and I relayed the story to them. They said, oh, it's probably not the Wii. They're actually really robust. It's very rare that a Wii actually breaks. It's probably just the power cord mm-hmm. uh, the, with the power adapter built in. And I was like, eh, I don't know. And the girl that was working behind the counter said, well, it's $25 to buy one, and if it doesn't work, just bring it back. Yeah. So I thought, well, what the hell? It's 25 bucks, and if it fixes it, great. And if it doesn't, I'm not out 25 bucks because I can return it. So yeah. I bought it, plugged it in last night, booted right up. So, Excellent. so the Wii is working yet again. So I'm I'm back to 100% gaming in the household. Awesome. But unfortunately, I I I don't have the time to play games most of the time. <laughs> but still, you and, know. And you, and you say nobody plays the Wii anyway. Uh, my daughter does. Brooke does. Oh, right. And when I told her this morning when she was getting ready for school that the Wii's working again, I got a huge hug. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was worth that was worth twenty five bucks right there. I got a question for you, Tim. Sure. You were talking about the PS three and the whole online backup thing before. Yep. Um the only console I have is the Wii. Um just because I like swinging my arms around as opposed to pushing buttons. Sure. Um now as far as I know, it doesn't have an online backup. Is that true? That is true. That's true, yeah. But you can stick a SD card in and do a backup that way. I you think, can, right? But yeah. I don't know if it will save the game data as far as your saves. Okay, I, I, I think I'm pretty sure it will. I think it does too. Yeah, but that's a you know if you're not backing up, and it, we're not just talking about video games here. If you're not backing up your data, you're going to eventually lose that data. If Absolutely. it only exists in one spot your chances of missing and losing that data goes up drastically. Tom, I can guarantee that you've had to send people to a company like Drive Savers in the past. Uh, that- we have, yeah, all, all the time. We have one in town here called yeah. uh, Track. I mean, we're very fortunate to have one people can drive to. Um, but right now, I have three data recoveries in various states of progress right now it breaks I mean, your heart doesn't it when someone yeah. says it's got this has got my daughter's baby pictures on it and the only place they exist is on this hard drive but when when you're able to get them back it's, oh, it's, it's so rewarding because people are just 
so grateful. And they will be the biggest proponents of backing up in the future. <laughs> when They'll they usually almost buy a it. hard drive for Time Machine right then and there. Yeah, absolutely they will. Yeah. Yep. For a, and they'll be they'll be backing up for a while anyway. Then people get lazy again. <laughs> yeah, well. Hmm. So we're going to take one more break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about Netflix, uh, some adventures in iOS purchases by David, uh, a little bit about HP, and some MyMac Podcasting Network news. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Travis Bryce from the geekiest show ever. And yep, you guessed it. GSE is back. Maybe not better than ever, but it's listenable. We talk about great things such as old video games. We'll talk about our podcasting setup. And uh, we'll talk about why nickels are the greatest invention ever. So uh, give us a listen. Geekiest show ever, only on the MyMac Podcasting Network. You stay golden, pony boy. Third and final segment of the Tech Fan Podcast. Before we go any further, I... I'd like to let you guys know you can contact the show at feedback at MyMac.com. We'd love to hear from you. Obviously, you heard the audio feedback that we got from Scott at the beginning of the last segment. If you want to do that, simply use your iPhone, use your flip phone, use your home phone. I don't care which phone you use. And call 1-801-938-5559. And you can leave a message on our Skype service, and we'll play your comments right here on the show. Or you can simply record an MP3 and send it to us that way as well. Either way works. We'd love to play your feedback on the show. So that's how you contact us. Uh, feedback at MyMac.com and 1-801-938-5559. David, let's start with you. Okay. Adventures in an iOS app. What's going on with you? What's, what's this oh. about? You know, there's, I've seen a lot of stuff online recently about iOS games and in-app purchases and apparently the in-app purchasing system that Apple supports in the games has not been working recently. And I'm, I'm starting to worry that there's a little bit of a gold rush going on into this into this area because I'm starting to see some unpleasant design choices being made by a couple of iOS game developers. I, I got a game recently that um, it's kind of like an Angry Birds clone. It's called uh, Fragger. Uh, and the idea of the game is you have this little guy who has to throw grenades at other guys on the screen and blow them up. Uh, it's a fun game. You know, I, I think I paid 69p for it, you know, 99 cents online. It wasn't expensive. But it's a fun game. It's a good good game to pass, pass the time with if you're suddenly queue or something like that. I was mildly disturbed when, having not played it for a week or so, it popped up a message on my uh, iPhone saying, oh, you've not played me for a while. We miss you. Would you like to play? <laughs> Because that's not annoying at all. No, of course it isn't. You know, that's exactly what I want to do. I want my software to um, cr- effectively crank call me like it's a telemarketer. Uh, and, and so it presents two buttons, close or view. If you press view, it actually launches the game. If you press close, obviously the notification goes away. And I, I saw it, I, I launched the game and I went, looked through all the settings, trying to figure out we could turn this off. There's nowhere in the game and it doesn't appear in the system preferences for notifications at all. Um, and effectively, I'm thinking this game is effectively spamming me on my own phone. I'm not having that, so that one's dead. Uh, the other thing is, I bought uh, today. There's a, a new game release called uh, Another World, which is a remake of a of a classic uh, late '80s, early '90s video game that was on. And I heard the, this uh, remake is actually really good. Yeah, it, well, it it well it it looks pretty good, though I've not actually played it yet. And the reason I've not played it is that. The game demands that you log into Game Center. Now, I have Game Center on my uh, iPhone and my iPad, but I don't really use it. And whenever any game pops up a thing asking me to log into Game Center, I always refuse to. I don't really want to be doing that. Um, and uh, effectively, this game won't run unless you log into Game Center. Wow. If you cancel, if you cancel the login, it says uh, so it gives you an error message about unable to contact Game Center, and then the game shuts down. Wow. So the, it's forcing you to use a, another. I, I know there's Open Faint out there too, and some people, some games want you to use that, and then they bug you if you don't. You know, you're missing yeah. a lot of awesome yeah, features. Right. Yeah, and that, it, it, that's annoying. It's like you know what? I told you I didn't want to use it. Stop bugging me about it. Don't don't be yeah. rude. Just don't be rude to yeah. me. 
No, you can look. I can live with some of these things if that's how the developer is making money. You know, I can live with getting a free game and then being bugged a lot for in-app purchases because obviously they're looking to get some coin from you. I can live with games that are free and bug you with ads because that's how their rev- that's what their revenue model is. This game, another one, I paid five dollars for, so I paid for it. I don't want to be constrained to I mean, i've no idea also there's, there's no information anywhere about what it wants to do with game center so i've no idea what information it's feeding back through that system but the point is i don't want to use it i just want to play the game and um you know it's it, i've in some ways it's mildly amusing because I, I remember one of the controversies when the game came out on the amiga was it used a, a color code wheel system as a copy protection and um it was actually a real pain in the neck um it obviously it on the ob- Put my teeth back in. Yeah, there you it, go. Uh, yeah, it frequently uh, didn't work very well, and you would have difficulties getting into the game. And um, the fact that now I'm in, I'm in the same situation, nearly twenty years later, on a completely different device, is uh, boggles my mind. Really, um, so I'm just really a little bit uncomfortable with how people are. You know, developers are really starting to try and muscle in with with these sorts of not very customer friendly tactics. What do you think, Tom? I think they're probably going to go out of business if they keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah, because the the thing is, advertising, if they're not advertising their products, and most of these iOS developers aren't yet, they don't understand that, uh, you know what, marketing is going to get you more customers. But regardless, uh, most people hear about games through sites like Twitter and Facebook and recommendations. And if it's negative because you're bugging people like this, I don't think that's a good thing. I, I I think it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Now, let, let me let me put a balance on this. I will be contacting both of these developers. I'll be, you know, taking my own advice about contacting support. I will contact both these developers and see what they say about these things. Another world. I'm prepared to to admit that obviously the game is brand new. This could be a bug could be um it, you know it may not be intentional so you know let's see what they've got to say i about don't it. i don't get what they would get out of denying anybody playing the game if they don't launch in the game center because all game center does is compare basically your scores to your friend scores yeah uh, the, the only the only thing that, that occurred to me was maybe they wanted to in some way track usage of the game and they want to use use game center to do that or I don't know. or they're using game center as a way for you to promote the fact that you have that game to your friends, so thus they'll go out and buy the game as well. Maybe, but even you know, if I'm going to do advertising for them, then I you want some cash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want. I certainly want to know that I'm doing it um, before I buy the game, before I plunk down the the five dollars. But as I say, that one it could just be a bug. Um, the the mini clip one, the Fragger mini clip is the developer of Fragger. This is clearly something they've intentionally done, and um, I find it pretty distasteful to I, be honest. I, I but I, agree. I, I I will be talking to them about it, and we'll see what they say. I mean, at the very least, I believe if they are going to put these features in, they need to have an option so you can turn them off. Hey Tom, did you see that? Uh, it seems like the the big news this week is about Netflix. Uh, personally, I I think everything is kind of overblown. Uh, they they split Netflix into two companies, streaming only, which is still called Netflix, which makes sense, and a service that will send you DVDs, which is now called Quickster. Are you a Netflix customer, Tom? Um, I actually just signed up for it in June, so, and it was about a month after that that this all started happening, and then they did the the they, they uh, did the price change increase over and, the weekend, yeah. So what do you and think, Quickster? I I thought that I mean for me I don't get a lot of DVD movies. I never have um, rental wise. So as a two dollar add on to the streaming, I thought it was it was good for me. But as a eight dollar separate thing, um, it's. It doesn't work for me. It's not worth $8 to me. I mean, I'll go to, you know, Redbox once or twice a month and, and get a, a DVD instead. So, so my, you're going to uh, cancel the, the, the add-on feature? Are you yeah, going to stick with the, the streaming service only? 
Yeah, I've got the streaming only. I just did that yesterday where I changed it. And my my daughter likes the streaming. It's it streams in the Wii. There's Animal Planet kind of shows that, that she in the likes. <laughs> um, we can sit in the kitchen and watch, you know, something on the like a dinosaur showdown on the iPad while, you know, we're eating dinner or something. I like the streaming service from Netflix myself. That's the only reason I really got the Apple II. Um, yeah, I, I when when they first did that price hike, I dropped the the physical DVDs. Unfortunately, they don't stream everything that they have. And there's no. been a few times that I was like, yeah, I'd like to see this. And I went, and oh, no, they don't stream it. I have to get the DVD. Uh, instead, in fact, just recently, I wanted to watch Man on Fire. Uh, Denzel Washington movie from I don't know ten years ago or so, and I really wanted to watch this movie. I don't remember why I wanted to watch it. Someone talked about it or something. I was like, God, I haven't seen that in forever. And I think right. I watched it late at night the last time I did see it, so I don't remember a lot about it. And but I remembered it was good, so I went up to Netflix. Nope, nope, can't can't stream it. So then I thought, well, I I'm, I'm not part of the DVD thing, and I don't really want to wait to watch this. I want to watch this tonight. So I went up to iTunes and yep, two ninety nine rental. But that would have paid. Well, it wouldn't now, but at the time, it would have paid for my extra fee at Netflix. But I, I want to stream it. I want to watch it now. I don't want to wait three days for this thing to to show up. Well, this is this this yeah. This is kind of my take on it. Is that I think a lot of the people who are vociferously complaining about what. Netflix have done and they've not handled it well let's be honest it was obvious that they wanted to split the DVD rental business away from uh, streaming uh, originally and and they were obviously going to try and do it incrementally and now they've kind of jumped into it but the point is is that a lot I've heard for ages we we don't have Netflix here in the UK but I've heard for ages people on various podcasts go oh yeah well I I stream everything now I have the DVD queue and and you know the red envelope sits around my coffee table for three months before I send it back and get a new one, and obviously those are the people who are up in arms about you know the price increases uh, because they don't want to pay pay a lot extra for a service they were barely using. But you know Netflix isn't a charity; That's uh, true. they're a business, and and um, you know everyone's kind of a lot of the people complaining about this are doing it on the basis like Netflix did this just to wind people up. They did it for business reasons. I suspect that a lot of the movie studios are giving them a hard time about cutting their streaming deals because they're tying the DVD business to it. They're saying, well, you know, we don't need to give you the streaming uh, streaming access so quickly to this movie because your customers could always get it on DVD. So they've still got access to it. Um, and I suspect there's been some negotiation difficulties around that, which is why Netflix feel that splitting the two into separate, completely separate independent businesses with a separate website and account structure is what they have to do to strengthen their negotiations with the, with the, um, with the movie companies. And I suspect that's why they've done it. Well, things have been bad for Netflix for this year. Uh, I like Netflix myself. I am a paying customer and the only reason I, I was a paying customer for a long time, I was on their biggest plan, and I quit. The only reason I came back is because the streaming service started looking really attractive. Um, you know, they're losing their deal with Stars, so they're going to not have as many movies up there. They've pissed off their customers two times in a row now, which isn't a good thing. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that's regardless of whether it's it's good business moves or bad business moves, when it's just generating bad PR, I think that's a failure in leadership. And speaking of leadership, I've used that, that description to describe the leadership of HP yeah. in the past. Well, I have one thing to add about sure. the, the Netflix thing before we move on to that. Killed, um, killed my segue, Tom. Sorry. <laughs> um, that's and it was a good one, damn it. It was. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to shoot it down though. Um, that for me, that's where Redbox comes in. Um, I have an app on my iPod Touch called Redflix that you can, uh, you know, just like with Netflix, you can make a queue. You can actually log into the actual Redbox kiosks that are around and see the discs that are available, reserve one, and go get it. It's not instant, but it's close. Interesting. I, I didn't even know that existed. Huh. So, Meg Whitman 
is now the CEO of HP. For those who don't know who Meg Whitman is or the name vaguely sounds familiar, she was the CEO of eBay. And she was the person who ran for governor in California and uh, wasn't elected. And so she was on the board of directors. They decided they didn't like the, the lack of communication or the miscommunication that the leadership of HP was getting uh, or not giving out. Uh, they fired... I, I'm drawing a blank on his name. I want to say... Leo Apotheca. Leo, yeah, Leo Apotheca. Yeah, Apotheca. He's the former CEO of SAP, yep. which is a big enterprise CRM and IB, company. IBM competitor out of Germany. And he wanted to turn HP into SAP, basically. And yeah, but he, he got fired. Know. He got fired from SAP. Yep. Um, you know, he's... he. Well, David, let's be did, honest. At a certain level, people fail upward, right? Well, certainly once you yeah once you get once you get above a certain glass ceiling, then effectively it doesn't matter what you do, you get another job and you get a big payoff on your way out the door. Yeah, um, got five million and, bucks from HP. And let's face it, Meg Whitman didn't exactly do a stellar job at eBay either. No. Nope. Um, so, so you know they really are going from the frying pans to the fire. But this guy really didn't seem to get HP's business, and he was trying to transform into something different uh, and. Um, well, it would be good to say all the board decided that he was no good and got rid of him, but uh, this is the board who hired him in the first place, uh, and he, his appointment didn't make sense 11 months ago either. And uh, this guy in 11 months has taken a $25 million paycheck and has done immeasurable damage to HP as a company. Um, you know, they really are. They've gone from being pretty much the number one PC manufacturing in the world to somebody who... Now everyone looks at them and think, well, what the hell is the next crazy thing they're going to do? Yeah, within one year. They yeah. should have kept Mark Hurd despite the scandal. Oh, absolutely. Mark Hurd was a brilliant leader. He knew exactly where to take HP. He's the one who bought Palm. He's the one that was pushing the, the touchpad initiative. Uh, I think if Mark Hurd would have stayed there, it would be a totally different HP right now. Absolutely. They, they would have stuck with WebOS, which... which is probably long term has more potential than Android. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I Android agree. is so disconnected and discombobulated. And it, I don't know that it'll exactly. It, it. I don't know that it'll ever totally straighten itself out. But HP and WebOS was they were doing the whole widget just like Apple was with iOS, and and it's a good uh, OS. Yeah, you know? it is. I know it's, everybody. Look, Tom, we both we weak. both work in in Apple specialists, so they think that. Oh, you guys are only going to like Apple products. That's not true. You know, no. I, I have a couple HP printers. I've got a Lexmark printer. Uh, I've got a Samsung monitor. And I do have the touchpad. And th- the problem with the touchpad is the, the hardware itself just isn't very good. But you iterate it a few times. You make it a true competitor. Uh, you innovate. And all of a sudden, you're sitting in the number two spot. Now... I know nobody wants to be number two. Everybody wants to be number one. No one's going to be number one except for Apple when it comes to the pad market for a number of years. It's just a, a fact. But number two can be very, very profitable. Uh, well, not only that. If you ever, if you ever want to get to number one, you've got to go through number two. That's right. You, you, there, there's a there's a path, and, and number two is part of that path. I think HP absolutely could have been number two in in the tablet market, and. Uh, it was a failure of leadership. It really was. Well, not only not only was the the hardware not quite up to snuff, the OS wasn't optimized well enough for the hardware, which just made the hardware look that much worse. Yep, yep. But the, all the potential in the world was there, and that's that's the one thing that kind of uh, bums me out more than anything else. That all things being equal, the potential for them to be a real competitor in the in the tablet market was there but they lacked the leadership and the foresight to get there now will meg whitman reverse some of these decisions i don't think so um i don't think she has the courage to do that and i think that's unfortunate i hope they do but yeah you're probably right 
Yeah. She she doesn't seem. I mean, I know she's been on the board of directors for a while, but you know, she's she comes from the consumer retail space. She doesn't seem to be a natural fit with a company like HP that does depend very much on its enterprise sales. Well, you know, she was on that. the board. They decided they were going to fire this guy. She probably threw her name into the hat and kind of you know played politics to get the job herself. And I don't think that's the way you should be electing a leader of a company like that, but. They didn't come to us again, David. No, and, and I think I think you can uh, add Leo's name to your list of uh, hit targets from your bad reviews as a touchpad. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude. Well, not really. Cause, uh, last thing yeah, before he's, we wrap he's... this up, and uh, this is some MyMac Podcasting Network news. Now, last week I made the announcement that Mac Specialist, the Chicago Apple Specialist, is going to start podcasting and they've actually recorded their first show and I'm going to uh, take a listen and help them edit it. Uh, I'm while I'm, it's going to be part of the my Mac podcasting network and I work at Mac specialist. I'm not going to be doing that podcast. That's going to be Frank and Kevin. Uh, but I'm going to show them how to edit, how to produce the show, how to put it all together and get it ready for downloading. So I'll, I'll help them do that. But then basically those two guys are going to be running that show. I'm not. And I'm happy that I'm not because I've only got so many hours in the day. But more importantly, I think they're going to do a fantastic job. I'm really looking forward to hearing them. So I'm pleased as punch to say that Mac Specialist Podcast is going to be part of the My Mac Podcasting Network. That puts us at six shows, David. It's uh, it's grown very quickly, yep. and uh, it's all good stuff. Well, I got some more news today. <gasps> the, no. We have added a seventh podcast to the My Mac family of podcasts, David. This is not another Mac podcast. Um, it's recorded in the UK, or I'm sorry, in uh, Australia. Uh, the host is Mark. It's a really good show. They've had a couple MyMac guests on there in the past. And Mark is actually writing some stuff at MyMac now. And I, I couldn't be happier that he decided to join the network. Um, basically what that means is when he joins, somebody a, a podcast joins the network. It doesn't change the show. All it means is you play an ad from another podcast in the network. And other shows in the network will play your ad. So it's kind of cross-promotion. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty much all it is. That and you play a little jingle at the beginning of the show so you know it's you know blah, blah, blah. But other than that, it really doesn't affect their show at all. It's still the same quality show that you're used to. So I'm, so I'm really ne- happy about what's it. What's next? Have you, have you got your eye on the big peacock? Uh, well, no. Probably a local <laughs> cable station first. You know, okay. get, you've yeah. got to build the momentum, David. I, I can't go with NBC's a little bit too big still. So, <laughs> well, the CW might be within reach. Well, yeah, that's true. We could we could probably come up with some original programming for that channel that would work. So, with that, we're going to wrap up number forty-eight of Tech Fan, uh, David. We've got two more episodes. Well, we got one more episode, and then we're at the big fifty. Isn't, isn't that crazy? Yeah, we're we need almost to start at thinking- fifty. I know, I can't believe it. I really can't. It seems to, we've, it seems to be only yesterday we started doing it. I know. And, uh, you know, then we, we're up to, uh, well, it must be coming up to a year. So we need to think about how we're going to mark the occasion. I, we definitely need to do something fun, something creative, maybe find a special guest that we can bring on. Not that Tom isn't special, but um, yeah, someone more special. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't think it, I don't think there was a very many ums since I made the drinking game thing. You could shoot for waz. I was thinking of that, but I don't want to come across as fanboyish. Um, dude, I gave you guys the um right there. I didn't hear drink or anything. He, uh, I don't know. He, it would be fun to do, but unfortunately, we would probably have to work around his schedule to get him on the show. Yeah. And David has a job, I have a job. It's probably be difficult. But I don't know. Maybe maybe simply David and I will uh do something fun. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But we've got I think uh I I think we should get Leo Apothecar. I hear he's at loose end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that well, there's an option. 
So thanks for downloading uh, episode 48 of Tech Fan. Make sure you check out the other shows in the MyMac Podcasting Network, including coming up Mac Specialist, Not Another Mac Podcast, The Geekiest Show Ever, Pocket Size Podcast, App Minute, and of course, the MyMac.com Podcast. So, Tom, thanks very much for being online today and joining us for the podcast. Are you on Twitter? Uh, I am on Twitter two ways. Uh, in my job as at First Tech Repair and personally as at TomDar2, T-O-M-D-A-R and the number two. What's the website for First Tech? www.firsttech.com, F-I-R-S-T-T-E-C-H. And the Apple Specialist website for all the Apple Specialists around the country is www.applespecialist.com. Yeah, go to that second address if you're not in the Minneapolis area and you want to find out, hey, is there an Apple Specialist around me? Uh, Go there, type in your zip code, and it will show you everything around you all the way up to like 200 miles away. But if you are in Minneapolis, definitely check out First Tech. You're going to get great customer service. And Tom himself may be working on your computer. A, a, a celebrity. Pretty like well, <laughs> celebrity? <laughs> well, minor. And don't forget, <laughs> if you're in the Chicago area, MacSpecialist.com. Ah, I give them, I plug that all the time. They know. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, what's your uh, handle over there on the Twitter? I am David B. Cohen. And I am at MyMac. You know, some people use that when they're talking about their Mac. They'll, they'll say something like, oh, I just upgraded at my Mac. And I'm like, you didn't upgrade me. <laughs> uh, oh, well. So we'll, we'll be back in uh, one week. We'll see you then.